It is always, always an honor for me uh, to be here at Chasing God and just really to be here at the Mishawaka Vineyard. It's just a joy. You guys feel like family. You know, church is supposed to be family, right? We've turned church really into this thing that we go to, that we attend, when in essence it was always, uh, it was always designed by God to be family. And that's what you guys feel like. You do. You feel like family. I can come up. I will tell you this. It got cold. Um, <laughs> it got cold. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's, all, all, it's fall. And I get to pull out flannel. And I'm excited. I should have brought more flannel. That's, that's all I know. I should have brought more flannel. But uh, I, I've, I don't think I've ever, I've been processing this, Pastor Mark, I, I, I don't think I've ever been on the tail end of chasing God. I feel like I've always been, you know, the front end, you know, kind of get the ball rolling and then, you know, set everybody else up. And, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? And... Uh, <laughs> But um, it's an honor to be the caboose, if you, if you will, you know, it's, a, it's an honor to kind of, we were here last night, we got in last night, and uh, we were here for, uh, for Kyle, oh my gosh, was that not amazing? That guy has so much passion, but, uh, and crazy stories too, just amazing stories, but um, it, it's awesome, I, I, I was able to watch uh, Choco de Jesus, uh, that was streaming, so I watched that on Wednesday night, and uh, that was awesome. I will say, he, he told you guys, he said, uh, if, you were, if you were here, he said, I'm from the hood of Chicago, remember that? And so I like audience participation. Well, I'm not from the hood, but I am from the hills of Kentucky, <laughs> and, 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 and I like audience participation too, right? I don't have a cool name like Choco, I, I'm just Kevin. Clark. <laughs> it's like Bill Smith, you know? <laughs> but, you know, you know, kind of jumping in the flow of things, being here last night for, for Kyle, I mean, he's telling these stories. If you were here last night, he tapped a guy on the shoulder in Israel at a buffet. The only thing I have in common with that is I know how to stand in line at a buffet. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about, you know? And, and he's got all these amazing, and they're so awesome, you know, tapping a guy on the shoulder, and then before you know it, he's in front of a king or a prime minister or something. Even Choco was in front of a king, wasn't he? I don't have any stories like that at all. <laughs> I was thinking last night, though, uh, when Kyle was, was talking about you know, all these cool stories where he just kind of obeyed God and then, you know, it was like scary and he stepped out in, in faith and got out of the boat and then all of a sudden these amazing cool things happened, right? And I'm sitting over there going, yeah, I remember a story where I failed at doing that. And, and I, I got to tell you this, okay? Because I think this might be, my failure might be a real encouragement to you tonight, Okay. So um, I was in my 20s and, and pastoring a church. I was way too young to be pastoring a church. And, uh, but I was pastoring a church. And I was with this friend, and we were doing street evangelism, like Kyle. Kyle wasn't even born at this time, right? I, I think. He, he didn't look that old last night, but I never got too close. Anyway, um, I was afraid I would have to tap you on the shoulder. And I was like, I don't know. I can't do it. I'm not ready. And, and so... So we were out doing street evangelism. We were in this apartment complex, and we felt like the Lord led us 
uh, to this lady to go talk to her. It's two guys talking to this lady. Well, it turns out um, she was some, like, she was of some Asian descent. I don't know what it was, and, but she did not speak any English at all. And so we're like, we're not going to give up, right? I mean, we're like, I'm going to share the gospel with this lady even if I have to teach her English, right? I mean, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna share the gospel somehow. So anyway, my buddy's going, what do we do? And I was like, I got this. He's like, what do you mean, I got this? I said, well, I, I've heard stories about, you know, people on the mission field, and they're standing in front of a group of people that, you know, they don't know their language, and they just step back and say, come Holy Spirit, and they just start speaking in that native language. So I got this. And he's like, uh, all right. <laughs> and so I step up and, and I start trying my best to speak in some Asian something. And it lasted about 30 seconds and she started screaming and she ran away. <laughs> that's it. I mean, that's the story. There is no other, like... You know, now she owns Panda Express and she serves the homeless in our, our city. There's nothing like that, you know? So, Kyle, if you're watching, I love you, man. I want to be like you when I get older. <laughs> anyway. No, I guess the point is keep trying. If I could, I tried, you know? Come on, give me a high five for trying, right? Yeah. So go try something tonight. You know, I... I'm, I'm interested right now in, in Christianity um, in, in how, it's, it's interesting to me how biblically illiterate we are in, in Christianity, and we've never had uh, any more access than we've ever had in history to, to the scriptures. And it's crazy just how biblically illiterate we are, and you know, Kyle said it so beautifully last night that, and, and Pastor Mark, you prayed for people like, you know, to believe that the scriptures are like 100% like the word of God. And yet, I, I, think that's, I think that's a big problem with where we are, kind of in our weak, anemic, spiritual state in Christianity, is because our, our foundation is not rooted in the fact that scripture is the word of God. You see, I believe that. And, and I know that some people would say, well, you know, it's men wrote the Bible. No, 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 men held the pen. It was the Holy Spirit that wrote the word of God. And if you approach it like that, see, I just believe that the word of God is inspired, like the whole thing. Like I believe that from like Genesis 1 all the way to the maps, man. I believe the maps in the back are like inspired. I can look at them and go, yeah, you know, it's... That's, that's, how, that's how in I am to the word of God. And I think if you don't get there, I think you're really putting a lid. I, I don't think, I know, you're putting a lid on your spiritual development. And, and I, I think the other thing I see in our culture today, in the American culture, is I see people, you know, like picking and choosing when it comes to the Bible, like what parts they're gonna read, you know, because we're Americans and we like to be comforted and we like to be inspired, right, you know? And so we like to read, I'm discovering there's a lot of people who like to read the parts of the Bible that kind of make them feel better. They like to stay away from the challenging stuff, but like, you know, give me the, give me the stuff that brings inspiration. Now, as, as a pastor, I encourage my church all the time, read the Bible, read it every day. Like even, like, not, not religiously, but like, 
Like, like read it every single day. Like, I mean, you, you can download an app right now on your phone that will like remind you in the morning like there is a memory verse of the day. There's a verse of the day. You can just like pull it up. You know, for me, the first thing I do after I get, when I get up every morning is I grab my phone. And, and I've tried to discipline myself to be the very first thing I, I intake is the word of God. And I open up my Bible app and I just see what the memory verse of the day is. Because here's what Jesus said. He said, the words I speak to you are spirit and they're life. Like he wants, he wants you to have life. He wants you to grow, he wants you to develop, but if you're, not, if you're not taking in the word of God, first of all, if the foundation of the word is not that it's inspired by God, and then secondly, if you're not taking it in, if this is the only word you get, like from here, this is not enough. It's not enough. Don't be religious about it, but, but every day when you read the word of God, whether it's just a memory verse or it's a chapter, ask yourself two questions. Based on what I just read, how does that bring comfort? But also, how does that challenge me? How does it challenge me? Because the word of God wants to, Jesus wants to challenge us through the word of God. And so I'm discovering that there's people, I've heard people tell me, well, you know, I just, I just like to read like what Jesus wrote, you know? I said, gee, he's cool, you know? I just, well, I'm like, well, how about the Beatitudes? And they're like, well, I don't read that a lot, you know, because he's like telling me like, love my enemy, and I don't know how to do all that, you know, but I, I like all the stuff where he's like healing people, and that stuff's really cool. I had one guy tell me, he said, I like to read like what Jesus wrote, but like I don't read the Apostle Paul, like who is this guy? You know, I'm like, uh, like the guy that wrote the vast majority of the New Testament, like that guy? You know, I don't like that guy, you know, and I'm like, well... What are you talking about? This is kind of where we are. And then even when it comes to the Old Testament, you know, I hear this like a lot lately. You know, I don't read the Old Testament, you know, because, you know, it's just, it's blood and guts and people are hacking on each other and, and God just always seems angry in the Old Testament. And I get you, like, you're right. Like, Old Testament, God's just like, like, what am I gonna do with you guys, Right? Go hack each other up, right? And, but, but that's why, but the thing is, understand, like, if, if you don't read the Old Testament, you're gonna, you're gonna miss seeing Jesus in a really, really powerful way. Because Jesus is all through the Bible. He's not just in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's also between Genesis and Malachi. Kyle said that last night. Every book of the Bible, Jesus is at the center of it. Hear this, the Bible, Old and New Testament, is made up of 66 books. Some authors were dead a thousand years before the next author was born, and they all speak of one person. It all points to one person, and his name is Jesus. And he's our king, he's our Lord, he's our master, he's our savior, and he's the one we're chasing tonight, amen? And he's the one that's chasing us too. So tonight what I want to do is I want to go into the Old Testament. And I, I want to tell you um, about an obscure character uh, in the Old Testament that most people have never even heard about. And even if you have, you probably struggle to say his name, okay? Here, here's his name on the screens. His name is Mephibosheth. Can you say that with me? Mephibosheth. You guys killed it, man. You're smart, man. 
Got a bunch of smart people up here. I like it. Mephibosheth. You know, Bible names are kind of hard to say. Like in the New Testament, you know, these guys' names are like, you know, Brother Eucalyptus and, you know, Brother, Pla- <laughs> Brother Platypus. And, you know, and they're just kind of hard to say, right? You know, but Mephibosheth. And I, I want to tell you his story tonight because it's, it's very, very powerful. And his story is found in, in 2 Samuel, and it goes something like this. One day there was a, a knock at the front door of a guy's house named Makir. Uh, Makir, this is, this is the home where Mephibosheth was actually living. And when Makir answered the door, there stood a messenger from the king. His name was Ziba. And Ziba let Makir know, hey, we know that Mephibosheth is living in your house. King David knows he's living there. And we found him, and now King David wants to see him in his chambers like immediately. Now, this is the same king that like had killed like the giant Goliath, right? This is that king. This is the king that had been successful in like many, many, many battles. Like he was a war hero. Like they wrote songs about how many people he killed. It's in the, you should read it. They wrote catchy lyrics like, David has killed his tens of thousands. You know, we should sing that again. Bring that one back, right? <laughs> like there's, I mean, this is the war hero. But, but from Mephibosheth's perspective, this was actually the king he was hiding from. Because this was the king that had overthrown his grandfather's throne as the first king of Israel. Mephibosheth's grandfather was King Saul, the very first king of Israel. Now, Mephibosheth knew there was some bad blood going on between David and his grandfather. And when I say bad blood, I mean like bad blood. Like, you know, God had picked David to replace Saul, King Saul as the next king of Israel. And Saul was extremely jealous and he was doing everything he could to hunt David down and kill him. So, but apparently what Mephibosheth didn't know is that in spite of all this bad blood, that before his father, Mephibosheth's father, his name was Jonathan. And apparently what he didn't know is that before his dad died, that he and David had become really close friends. Matter of fact, they were so close that they had made a pact with each other. That no matter what happens to either one of us, we're going to take care of each other's family. Like, you know, if, if I go, you, you got my family's back. And, and, and if you go, I got your family. Apparently he did not know that. So... He's a bit freaked out by this knock at the front door, the summons of the king. You know, after all these years of hiding from him, he's now been found, and now it seems as if his life is about to end in a very, very bad way. Because get this, in those days, wiping out every descendant from the royal family, the previous royal family, that would have been typical protocol for a regime change in those days. Now, Mephibosheth's life, it didn't really, it started out great. I mean, his dad was Prince Jonathan, his grandfather was King Saul. You know, he was royalty, right? We sing about that tonight. We were beggars, but now we're royalty. He was, he was royalty, man. And with royalty comes like all kinds of privileges. So for example, like, 
You know, Mephibosheth was not his birth name. His birth name, look at this on the screens, his birth name was actually Mirab Baal, meaning opponent of Baal. Now, Baal was a false pagan god. And think about this. His parents wanted everybody to know, like, when you, when you call our boy's name, like, we want you to know he is in direct opposition to this false pagan god of Baal. That's a strong royal name. But now his name has been changed from Mirab Baal to Mephibosheth. Let me show you what Mephibosheth means. It means son of shame. Son of shame. What happened? How did he go from royalty to son of shame? Well, his name was changed because of what happened to him when he was just a child. One day, um, a man came running into the palace gates yelling, King Saul and his sons are dead. King Saul and his sons are dead. And what happened is his nanny, she panicked. And in her haste to get the boy to safety, she actually dropped him. And as a result, Mephibosheth would would grow up having a severe disability in both of his feet. Now, his nanny has him as an orphan, and she has him hidden away from the king in this little obscure place called Lodabar. And it's there that uh, his name was changed from Mirabal to Mephibosheth. And it's there, it, it seems his life is destined to just be an orphan, with a severe disability, you know, hiding from the king because he's an enemy of the state. Like he could be a a rival to the kingship. But on this day, there's a knock, not just any knock, a, a frightening knock at the front door. The king, not just any king, this warrior king has found him. This one who overthrew his grandfather's throne. He wants to see him in his chambers immediately. Think about it. Because of his disability, he can't run. He can't fight. All he can do is just go face his death with some sort of honor. And so as he's brought before the king, as you would imagine, he just bows in honor before the king, didn't didn't make eye contact with him at all. And David, the king, called out his name, and Mephibosheth noted that like, there wasn't like an angry tone in his voice. But still, he did not even dare lift up his head. His, just, his response to the king calling his name was just, at your service. At your service, O king. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, here's what it says. David looked at him and said, don't be afraid, David said to him. For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Now, I'm sure in that moment, Mephibosheth could not believe what he was hearing, right? I mean, this is not the way this works. You're supposed to wipe me out. I'm a former descendant. I may be disabled, but I could be a rival to the kingship. I'm an enemy of the state. This has to be some kind of a cruel joke. Mephibosheth's response is noted in verse 8, 2 Samuel 9, verse 8. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Now, dead dog, that is a fitting title, right? Because it seemed as if anybody who opposed David was a dead dog. 
whether you were the giant Goliath or whether you were a part of his, you know, tens of thousands of kill count, you know, or whether you were Mephibosheth's grandfather, King Saul, you mess with David and you're a dead dog. And in that moment, all he could expect was the same fate. So with his head bowed in honor, put yourself in that scenario, put yourself in the story. With his head bowed in honor, waiting, just waiting for a spear to pierce through his body, waiting for a sword to just cut through him. To his surprise, something else happened. Second Samuel verses nine through 11. Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Are you getting it yet? So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. So there's some things I want us to see in this story tonight. Number one, I I want you to see Jesus in this story because he's all through the Bible. But like he is so, Jesus is so present in this story. And church, I'm telling you, like, like I, I, I want you to hear what I'm saying tonight, but more than hear what I'm saying, I want you to have an encounter with Jesus. Like I want you to be sitting there hearing what I'm saying and then all of a sudden you just start having an encounter with Jesus that just transforms your life because I promise you something, when you see Jesus for who he really is, you really, really want him. When you see Jesus for who he really is, you just cannot stay the same. So more than anything tonight, sure, if I got a joke, I want you to laugh at it. I really do, you know? But more than any of that, more than preaching great, I'm sure the worship team, more than, you know, how great the worship is or any of this, We want you to see Jesus tonight. Secondly, I want you to see the grace of God in this story. Because I'm telling you, his grace, it's amazing. It's extravagant. It's reckless. It's unusual. It's uncommon. And I want you to see that. But tonight, what more than any of that, above and beyond all of that, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see you in this story. I've titled tonight's message, The Story of Us, okay? But I want to title it, We Are Mephibosheth. But if I make that title, everybody go, who's Mephibosheth, right? You know, so the story of us is kind of better, right? So I want you to, I want you to see it because here we are in this new life. We're chasing God, and here we are in this new life. Like we found Jesus, we're following him, we've seen him, we've had an encounter with him, and, and, and what, what is it you would really want me to know, Pastor Kevin, what is it you want? I want you to know that you are Mephibosheth. 
I am too. And you should never forget this. His storyline is my storyline. His storyline is your storyline too. Let me show you. Let me break his story down. Number one, we're shattered by a fall. If you're taking notes, write that down. We're shattered by a fall. Mephibosheth grew up with a disability in both of his feet. And as a result of this disability, um, Mephibosheth would have a distinct disadvantage in life, meaning that there would be certain things in this life that he would not be able to do on his own. His disadvantage would be that he, his life would now require the help of other people. Now think about it. You and I have been shattered by a fall as well. You and I, every single person on this planet, we have been shattered by the fall of Adam and Eve. And as a result of their fall, we now have some distinct disadvantages. One of them is we are inclined to sin, okay? If you're not inclined to sin, you are an alien, okay? Even the Apostle Paul wrote, the things I don't want to do. Do them anyway, you know. And I mean, I went, we're, because of the fall, we've all been shattered by this fall, and as a result, we're inclined to sin. Another disadvantage is that morally, you know, we cannot live to the, up to the perfect standard of God because of this disability in life, like spiritually. You know, I can't do enough to please God, to be righteous enough for God. Physically, because of this fall that's happened from Adam and Eve, we've been shattered by it. So physically, that means that I'm subject and you're subject to pain and death. We have some disadvantages, just like Mephibosheth. We can't please God on the basis of our own deeds, so here's what we need. We need some help. We cannot do this on our own. We need some help. What do we need? We need a savior. We need a king to come and offer us grace. Why? Because we've been shattered by a fall. We are Mephibosheth. Next, we're pursued by a king. His storyline is our storyline. It's crazy. Pursued by a king. Now, Mephibosheth did not know that he was being pursued by the king. I'm sure he hoped he wasn't, but I don't think he knew that David was going out of his way. He was hiding from him, but I don't think that he even knew that, that you know, he was alive. He didn't, Mephibosheth didn't even think that David knew he was like a thing, right? And so he didn't know he was being pursued by the king. So watch this. Mephibosheth is hiding from the very person who is trying to bring him out of hiding so that he can bless him and restore him, right? Now the same is true for us, right? We know that if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus goes out of his way to pursue us. I mean, I know we're chasing him, but he's chasing us tonight. He, I mean, he's coming after us with everything he has, and he's pursuing us when we don't know it, when we don't feel it, and he pursues us even when we don't pursue him in return. And here's his plan. His plan is to bring us out of hiding, to bring us out of the shadows, and to bring us into the light so that he can heal our brokenness so that he can deliver us, so that he can deliver us from shame, so that he can heal us, so that he can restore our freedom. Scripture says that he came to seek and save those that are lost. 
Scripture says he pursues the sick, he pursues the broken, he pursues the sons and daughters of shame. Scripture tells us that we don't find Jesus. He actually finds us. <sighs> yeah, amen. Thank goodness. If you hear one thing tonight in this new walk you have with the Lord, this new life, what do I need to know? Never forget, you did not find Jesus. I promise you, he found you. He found you. Jesus told some stories one day like three back to back to back. And he told these stories because he wanted everybody to like understand who he was. Like if you wanna know, know what God's like, let me tell you a story. Matter of fact, I'm gonna tell you three stories. Because I just wanna get, I wanna get the point across. He said, okay, so, so, so God is like this. Let's say a, a woman had 10 precious coins and she lost one of them. You're the one lost coin. God would literally turn the house upside down to go on a search and rescue mission for that one lost coin. And if that wasn't good enough, let me tell you what God is like. He's like a, a shepherd that has 100 sheep, but, but one of them went astray. He's willing to leave the 99 and go on a search and rescue mission for the one lost sheep. And then he tells a story about the prodigal son, a lost son who looked at his father and said, skip you. Give me my share of the inheritance. And he took it and he just blew it on everything that bought, brought pleasure to him. And every day the father, this is God, you and I are the lost son, we're the prodigal son, but every day the father was waiting, today, today, could today be the day he comes running home? And when the boy finally came to his senses, Jesus said, he said, I'm gonna go home. And when he got to the edge of the driveway, guess what the father did? The father didn't wait for him to get to him. He went chasing after him. That's who he is. That's his character. That's his nature. And that's what he's doing right now for some of you. He's pursuing you. It's just who he is. Next, we're Mephibosheth. We're shattered by a fall, and yet we're pursued by a king. We're not left like we're pursued by a king, and then next, we're found in desolation. David found Mephibosheth hiding out in this town called Lodabar. I'm gonna show you this on the screens. Lodabar was a, a, a city east of the Jordan River. It was a barren wasteland, a desolate place. The, the literal name of Lodabar, it means the place of no bread. The place of no bread. Does that not sound like the exact same place Jesus finds us? Like the place of no bread, a, a, a barren wasteland, a gutter, a place of no bread? Like, but isn't it in that place where he finds us that he comes to us and says, I am the bread of heaven? See, Jesus, seven different times in the New Testament, seven different times Jesus made these I am statements. Like, I am the light of the world, you know? I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. And he was doing this on purpose. He was really making the religious folk of the day mad. Because what he was doing, he was saying what Moses said to Pharaoh. Because remember, Moses is up on the mountain and he's having this encounter with God. Bush is on fire. It's not being consumed. And God starts speaking to him out of it. And he goes, and God says, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to tell him to let my people go. 
because they've been in bondage way too long. Go tell them to let me. And Moses asked God this question. He said, well, who, who am I going to tell them sent me? And God said, oh, just tell them I am sent you. That's it. That, that's enough. Just tell them I am. Like, drop the hammer. I am. Walk away. <laughs> Mic drop. I am. You know. And so seven different times, Jesus makes this statement in the Gospels. And he's, what he's saying is this. I'm God, and if you want to know what God is like, I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. And there was a context, the context in which Jesus made this statement, I am the bread of heaven. He made this statement in a context where a multitude of people had gathered to hear him teach. And like he kept teaching and teaching and teaching and they were hanging on every word, like sitting on the edge of their seat, like couldn't believe what he was hearing, just waiting, like, what, what, do you, what else do you have to say? And, and, and it got late, and they were hungry, and Jesus goes to his, he's like, I'm gonna take a break, a little intermission, talk amongst yourselves, uh, fist bump five people, and tell them you're my family, right? Like we did tonight, right? Like, go <laughs> greet somebody, like, yeah. That's where we get that in church. Just now, I'm just kidding. It's not making that up, making that up, making that up. So he goes to his disciples. He's like, hey, guys, uh, these people are hungry, and uh, what do we got? What do we got? You know, we got some uh, grain bars. We got some fruit bars. What do we got? And they're like, uh, yeah, we got nothing. He's like, all right. Talk amongst yourselves, people. I want you guys to go and search the crowd and find out what's out there, okay? Come back. Report back to me. They come back, and they go, uh, Jesus, we found a little boy. He's got a Power Ranger lunchbox. <laughs> Imagine that, like, bring one of those little Power Ranger lunchboxes. Like, hey. <laughs> it's got some loaves and some fishes in it. Jesus is like, that's enough. That's enough. That's enough. And here's what he does. He just takes it and he blesses it and he breaks it and he gives it away to them. And every, thousands of people were fed that day with 12 baskets of leftovers. How many of y'all like leftovers? <laughs> Son, I like leftovers. My mom told my dad, she said, I want one more kid. If, you, if, you, if, if we can do this, she said, I, I promise all he'll eat is the leftovers. How many know I didn't work out? <laughs> Do I need to give you the profile? <laughs> Online, let me get a, get a close-up here, yeah? Yeah, I ate more than the leftovers. There wasn't anything left over. <laughs> when Bill Smith left the table. <laughs> Mark, Pastor Mark got that. <laughs> That's a preacher joke, yeah. <laughs> Where was I at? Okay, I'm lost right now. I'm just lost. I'm wondering and... I'm in the desert right now as a preacher. I'm in the desert place right now. Pray for me. <laughs> so Jesus takes the loaves and the fishes, and he blesses it, and he breaks it, and he gives it away. There's 12 baskets of food left over. Now get this. As the people are eating the meal, the bread, Jesus uses it as an object lesson. He's like, hey, just like you need that bread to sustain you physically, guess what? I am the bread of heaven. You need me to sustain you. I am God, and God is like bread that falls from heaven. 
And, and isn't that what Jesus has done for us? He comes to us in our place of desolation and he brings hope and he brings strength and he brings life and he brings bread to us. Jesus takes the initiative to go out of his way to go on a search and rescue mission for you and me. As a matter of fact, when I say go out of his way, I'm not just talking like taking a a different route. I'm talking about leaving all of heaven had to offer and coming here and becoming one of us and dying brutally on a cross for us just so that we could experience life and that our sins could be forgiven. He goes out of his way, out of his way. He's willing to leave the 99 healthy sheep behind and go on a search and rescue mission for one lost sheep. Guess who that sheep is? It's you. It's me. And I don't care what your storyline is. Maybe you've got one of those crazy storylines of You know, I murdered three people and got saved in jail, and now I'm serving Jesus and preaching, pastoring a church. That's great. Some of you don't have that storyline. Some of you are like my wife. My wife. Um, I grew up in a pastor's home, and I was like, you know, one of those stereotypical pastor's kids who like, everybody's like. So when I, first of all, my dad pastored my wife's church. Well, the church she grew up in, that's where I met her at. And uh, when I started, like, her and I started going out, her mom was like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. You, you, can't, you can't go out with him because, see, I've been in some prayer meetings with his mom. <laughs> <laughs> and I know what that boy's been doing. <laughs> and so I was blind for many years. I would tell her, I'd say, um, We'd get, we'd get, I'd, t- I'd bring her home, I'd say, your parents love me so much. And she'd be like, y- 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 yeah? <laughs> like, I know, right, I know, right? You know, they were terrified of me. Why? Because she was just like this precious, she was like Elena. You know, Elena, her and Elena sitting over there, two peas in a pod, you know? I used to say about my wife, she never said a cuss word until she met me. <laughs> What was I talking about? (laughs) Oh, I know what. (laughs) Even if your storyline is my wife's, grew up in church, you know, walked that aisle when she was 10 years old, gave her life to Jesus, served God, loved Jesus, pure as the driven snow, right? And yet, she understands that she is Mephibosheth. I'm not just talking to the wayward, like bad boys and girls in the room tonight. I'm telling you, this new life, this new life, you have to understand that you are Mephibosheth. If you don't see that, you won't see Jesus. And if you don't see Jesus, you'll never have that encounter that makes you want him and that transforms your life. We are Mephibosheth. Can you say that with me? We are Mephibosheth. We're shattered by a fall. We're pursued by a king. We're found in our place of desolation. And then finally, we're transformed by grace. We're transformed by grace. This story reminds us of how Jesus actively searches 
for those who are lost. He actively searches for those who are lost. And then he extends grace to them. And then he invites them to come eat at the table, right? And, and, it's, and as a result of this grace and eating at his table, this is where we experience like transformation. And as a result of this transformation that happens in our life, it all started with Jesus. It started because of his grace. And as a result of this transformation, all of a sudden our eyes begin to open to who we are in Jesus, to who we are in Christ. And guess who we are in Jesus? We are Mephibosheth. We're shattered by a fall. We're pursued by a king. We're found in a place of desolation. And we are gloriously transformed by the grace of a king. But not just any king. And, and this has been said over at least two different nights that I, I've been a part of chasing God. We're not just talking about any king. We're talking about the king of kings and the Lord of lords, right? You see, who we are in Christ has nothing to do with what we have to offer him. Who we are in Christ, everything we have to offer him is rooted in what our king offers us. And here's what he's offering us tonight and every night and every day, he's offering us grace. It's extravagant grace. It's unusual grace, it's uncommon grace. It's reckless is what it is, it's reckless. It's amazing grace. God, I'm thanking you right now that you're moving in this room and you're moving for all those who are watching online right now. Lord, give us a picture right now, Holy Spirit, come. Give us a picture of you chasing us down because that's just who you are. Years ago, um, our youngest child, his name is Chappie, and uh, we were in a sporting goods store and uh, we were, Robin and I were in different places and he was the only one with us that day and, 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 um, and, and I, I yelled over to Robin because I didn't see Chappie. I said, I said, Robin, is Chappie with you? And she said, no. I, and, and I said, oh, okay. So you know how that, as for your parent, you know what that's like, you know? That, that you, you, your first thought is, it's okay. <laughs> like, it's okay. And he's just in the aisle over. And so I walked to the aisle over, and there was no Chappie. And I walked to the next aisle, and there's no Chappie. And then my, I started walking faster. There's no Chappie, there's no Chappie, there's no Chappie. Where's Chappie at? And immediately I went into, uh, you know, rescue mode. And I looked at Rob, and I said, you go up front, nobody leaves this place. And, and I said, I'm going in the back, you know, those doors where they say employees only, I'm going back there because I'm finding my boy. And sure enough, she went up front. And what was crazy that day, to be honest with you, is how little concern there was from the employees who wanted to help us. 
We had to fight them to help us find our boy. And, and that kind of, you know, it kind of reminds me of the church a little bit, you know, and, and, and sometimes how we're not as concerned about helping God's lost kids find their way back home. You know, we're the, we're the people who are just reading the parts of the Bible that like, you know, bring comfort to us, bring inspiration to me when, when God's actively seeking and saving those who are lost. That's just who he is. And so this is not just for us tonight. This is also, let this, let this expand farther than just us individually. Let us pull back and get a bigger vision, you know, of what God's heart is for his lost kids. And so... Um, I go in the back, she goes up front, shut everything down, nobody goes. And then all of a sudden, there was a guy on a ladder, and he goes, you know, he kind of gets our attention. And he goes, hey, 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 over here. Okay, what's going on over here? He said, look over there in the golf bags. And sure enough, there's Chappie. <laughs> hiding in the golf bags. He grew up loving golf. He still loves golf. It's pretty cool. Anyway, but the point is this. The point is this. I want you to capture the heart of God in this story. That heart that we had that day, shut everything down. Stop everything. Whatever it takes, our boy, we're going to get our boy home. That is the intensity that God is chasing us with. He's actively pursuing us. And he wants to extend grace to you. And some of you tonight, you are Christians, and yet you're not living in this grace. You're living in religion, and I got to do, and I got to perform, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Look at me, Jesus, spinning it. And he's like, I don't want to see your song and dance. You're Mephibosheth. You're royalty, and you don't even know it. (laughs) You're royalty, and you're not living like it. You're still living like a beggar. You're still living like a doer. You're still living like a trier. (laughs) You're still trying to accomplish something. You're still trying to get my attention. No, I've invited you, because of grace, I've invited you to come eat at my table. Do you know, in this story, Mephibosheth's feet were never healed. There's no miraculous story of like his feet were healed. But you know what you don't see when you're at the table? somebody's feet he had his flaws he had his disabilities the rest of his life but every day the the story said he came and he dined at the table of the king like one of the king's sons i know you're jacked up so am i (laughs) i'm on the stage with the mic and you can see that right We've all got our flaws, we've all got our stories, but Jesus is inviting us tonight to come bring our flaws and just belly up to the table of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and skip the flaws. He wants to extend grace, grace. It's amazing grace, it's extravagant grace, it's reckless grace, it's unusual, this is an unusual story it's unusual grace it's obscure it's like what it's like it's like head scratching grace like what what are you talking about it's what he wants to do for you